Welcome to Suffolk Money. This is a series of interviews and discussions on the subject of money in Suffolk. We all know that Suffolk is a great place to live in or a great place to visit, but many of us are totally oblivious to the wonderful people, the amazing businesses and the fantastic charities that exist in the county. So in this podcast, we've tried to explore some of those and introduce them to you. However, today is a little bit different and rather than focus on businesses or charities, we thought we'd introduce two really interesting people to you. And these are two people who are very important in the structure of Suffolk Money and its delivery as a podcast. Those two people are Sally and Kevin Birch. Sally will be familiar to many of you, I'm sure, through her work in BBC Suffolk. And Kevin, who has appeared on our screens over a number of years for his work with BBC Look East. So it's great to just be able to chat to you both, Kevin and Sally. Obviously, I've been working with you for a little while now, but just really interested in understanding something more about your respective backgrounds. So tell us a, a little about each of you about your perspective, you know, where you were born, you grew up. Well, I uh, was born in Norwich uh, and didn't stay there for very long. It was about six months and we moved um, with my dad's job to Morden. And I was there until about till I was about eleven, and we moved to Capel St Mary. So um, I know I haven't been here all my life, but pretty much, you know. Uh, and from there, then uh, I moved to um, Ipswich, and have been here oh, probably about sort of forty years, forty odd years, something like that, um, in and around Ipswich. Um, went to school at Stowmarket High. It's a good old Stowmarket girl. Stowmarket, uh, you're a Stowmarket then. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Uh, and um, finally uh, settled in Ipswich and have been here ever since. So, um, yeah, so good. Love Suffolk, as, as we all do. Um, love the people in Suffolk and um, feel really at home. I'm proud to be a Suffolk born and bred. I was born in uh, Bramford Lane in Ipswich and went to St Matthew's Primary School just down if people know that area um, along Norwich Road walked to school and then St Matthew's Primary and then from there uh, we moved up then to East Ipswich and uh, I went to Northgate Grammar School um, and I have kind of been around in terms of working so I was went to college in in Essex um, to learn the journalistic ropes and then I worked in Norwich for a time came back to Ipswich worked in London for a time um, so I've kind of dabbled a little bit here and there um, but same as Sally, because with the children and um, still loving this place, and I've always felt it a real treat to actually work where you were raised and can still revisit these places you remember, um, have, have lived um, in Ipswich so predominantly all my life. So, you know, it's still a place I really love and um, a county that I just have such a passion for. So obviously you're, you're both known for your various roles in media how did how did you each get into to those so yeah, starting with you Sally how did you get involved well I started so my background is secretarial um, and had been from starting from the age of 16 but it wasn't until I uh, joined the East Anglian Daily Times um, as secretary uh, to the works manager and the, the management team there um, that my love of um, media was sort of born really uh, and I was I was there for 
maybe three years. And then I was asked to join um, the, um, the, the the editor of the Suffolk Mercury series was at the end of the East Anglia Daily Times at the, at the time. And then she moved to London because she was asked to set up a free newspaper in West London for very rich people. And she asked me to join her. And I thought then, oh, I'm not quite sure what that's going to involve. And it was all a bit scary, but I thought, oh, you know what it's like. You don't, you know, when you're young, you just take a gamble and just go for it. I hadn't got any ties at the time. So I went up to join her and it was just the most bizarre, most bizarre thing. Um, and it was just a free newspaper paid for by very expensive advertising. Um, it flopped spectacularly because people <laughs> didn't want it. Um, but from there on, we, we went on to put in um, page makeup systems, which had just come in uh, into computers, at, to, com to magazines and newspapers. Uh, and we went to work at Northern and Shell for uh, Richard Desmond, uh, putting um, page makeup systems into all his magazines, um, some of which, as you know, were very colourful. Uh, and we were there, put all his, put all his um, systems in. And then I moved back to Ipswich um, when I had my first son. And uh, I was there for about, hmm, about 18 months before I decided to go back to work. And I went to work uh, with Radio Suffolk, who had just started up um, in Ipswich. And they'd only been going for about a year. And they asked me to join the team. And that's, as they say, it's uh, the rest is history. And I just <laughs> from from a broadcast assistant, which was, was a radio production assistant then, and just moved up through the newsroom, through programmes, and um, finished up producing the um, breakfast show at Radio Suffolk. So you were at Radio Suffolk for how long? Uh, it would have been 30 years last month. So um, I was just there short of, short of 30 years, yeah. So right. um, it's amazing. So we'll, we'll come back on to some of your experiences there, Sunny, in a minute. But Kevin, how, how about you? What was your, <laughs> how did you get into journalism and so on? You say you studied it, but what happened next? Well, I, um, when I was at grammar school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I was quite, um, yeah, I, I really writing to up last minute and it was odd. Um, you can probably remember the experience watching peers around you firmly knowing what they're going to do, university, what career they were going to do. And I was sitting there very unsure. Um, I knew one thing I did know was that I loved English. Um, uh, I'd always had a kind of passion for words, but that was a bit latent, I think, in the back of my head. It didn't really dictate anything. It, it, if anything, the one thing I had a passion about was food. Um, and I went to the old uh, Ipswich um, Civic College and I got accepted onto what I think then was called a hotel and catering course. Um, and I thought, this is wonderful. Um, when we got through the interview, we were just almost completed the interview and they, you know, said we'd like to offer you a place. Um, and then we started talking about the money. And of course, that he, he, the guy who was on the board, to his credit, was didn't hold back. He said, look, the money is not good in catering and you'll be working all hours that are out there. Um, and, and you will be working while others are socialising and vice versa. You'll be out and off when other people are working. So it's not the best career. So I thought about it and I thought, I don't know, let's think of some other options. I looked at Lun Poly working in the holiday industry. I looked at the civil service, went for an interview with ICI. And then out of the blue, my careers um, teacher, who was a guy called John Eaton, who I thank to this day, um, said to me, what about kind of words? And I've thought about other things. He said, do you want to work in a bank? And I said, no, I'm, I'm not really good with numbers. And he 
He said, well, they have calculators. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> Numbers is just a fog to me. So I can't, couldn't really navigate my way through it. But I do love words. And he just picked up this pamphlet, which was called something like, so you want to work for the BBC? And I just looked at it and there was a chap on the front with a microphone. He was reading the news and I thought, yeah, that looks fun. I'll do a bit of that. So I enrolled. Um, I didn't get accepted by the East Anglian Daily Times, who at that stage part funded um, students. Uh, it was a lot of competition even then for the media. So I went with the local authority grant and I went to Harlow College and I studied what was called a pre-entry journalism course, which lasted a year, where you learned about use of English, law, we studied shorthand, typing, the whole across the range packed into what was a pretty intensive year. We, we um, stayed in digs in Harlow during the week. Um, so I did that, came out, passed all but one exam, retook that. And then when I came back, just towards the end of the course, I went back to see the East Anglia Daily Times and the editor then, a guy called Don Simpson, said to me, how's your shorthand? And I said, really good, because shorthand was your passport into journalism. It was the one thing they wanted to know that you could do shorthand and you could accurately get down quotes and everything else. So I said, I'm doing well. So he said, well, if you hit 120 words a minute, I'll give you a job. So I kind of went back and thought, right, there you go. There's the, there's the challenge. And um, so I hit 140 and I came back and that was the start of it. So I was then taken on as a trainee reporter with the East Anglian Daily Times. First posting was to Halesworth as a junior reporter. And um, that was the start of it. And I've never can you, looked Can you remember the first story that you you covered i can't remember the first story colin but i do remember that it we did in those days it sounds odd now we did a two and a quarter year apprenticeship um and that involved everything and the idea was that you would be farmed out to a district office and for the first three to six months most of what i was doing would have been funerals and weddings mm. so the copy would come into the front office and i had to go through and basically write a, a report of a wedding or a funeral and, and kind of make it interesting, which was not always easy, as you can imagine. Mm. The other great discipline was that if you got anyone's name uh, wrong, you would know about it because mm. someone from the family would come marching into the front office and say, here, what's, you know, what's this mm. all about? Because we had two papers then. There was obviously the daily papers and we had a weekly, a weekly paper, uh, the Houseworth Times. So you were feeding those. And also, if it was a really big funeral... If it was someone, you know, a big character in the community, you would sometimes have to go to the church and you would stand at the door taking names. And again, if you got them wrong, you knew about it. So it was a wonderful lesson right from the start in the need for accuracy, yeah. the need to double check, uh, to not be afraid of people. Sorry. How do you how do you spell your surname again? Mm. Um, and so it, so it was a ones of education. So that was how it all started. But I mean, I did stories about a. Oh, just uh, sewage leaking out of someone's manhole cover in their garden, you know, um, the restoration of um, a signal box on the railway line. Every week there was a story about what was then the big issue, the Halesworth Relief Road. I did a story about of a woman from Walberswick who hatched out a chicken's egg in the cleavage of her bra as she slept at night. And that made its way into the nationals as well. I mean, it's just, you never knew what was coming, you know, but that was the beauty of it. And, and because you were this man there, you were on the spot. I was going to council meetings and, you know, two or three times a week, you were picking up stories and people got to know you and they knew that they could trust you. You were the place to go to if they had a story. So it was the absolute grand floor of journalism in terms of where these stories come from. So I loved it. I mean, it was, you just felt a real sense of, if it's a sense of power but a real sense of place in the community yeah. and what you were doing so, it so was i suppose that's before you know we had all any form of internet social media and so on so how else is that news going to be 
spread how, how else are people going to be able to know that uh, there's a problem with manhole covers or whatever it might be other than through local media yeah i mean you're absolutely right i mean it's weird isn't it to think about it now but we just had public phone boxes so i had no um no mobile phone i don't think i even had a pager the pages came a bit later on and certainly the first mobile phone which if you remember was about the size of a car battery um, which you, you carry, which I think was a Motorola or something like that, which you carried around with you. So you relied on just ending up in a call box. But to be honest, the, the demand on deadlines was not as great. So you were really fishing for stories which were either going to make in tomorrow's paper or for that week's paper. So there wasn't the kind of relentless pressure that I've worked under since. You were almost gathering in the harvest, you know, to... to to then farm out but but I did always love that sense of um kind of knowing something that nobody else knew and knowing that you were the one who was going to pass on that information um a lot of it very relevant information for people you know that um, they needed to know about just say things like the relief road you know stories which are really important about their lives mm. they had a right to know so I always thought it was a great sense of privilege as well as having a huge amount of fun you know it was that they were heady days yeah it's interesting you saying about the um shorthand because we both had to do shorthand obviously didn't we and i think the the upper limit was oh well if you can do 120 words a minute you can sort of do anything can't you so um it, but uh, kevin you did was it Pittman you did i did well, i think it was called Pittman new era yeah, yeah. and i did Royal society of arts and i can remember my um college teacher at the time saying oh, well with Royal Society of Arts, because they're very long um, outlines, so oh, you'll never get past 90 words a minute. Right, okay, that was like <laughs> red rag for the ball. And, uh, and got my 120 words a minute like you did. And, um, but we were almost, almost cross because obviously Kevin went into, um, into the media as well. Um, and my college teacher said, why don't you think about being a stenographer? You know, with those speed, you can go into court reporting, but she said it will be very lonely. I thought, oh, no, I don't fancy that. And, um, you know, long train rides up to London. But, but it's interesting that even now, you know, we still use it because it, it's such an accurate way of, of getting, and, and over the years, you never, you never forget it. And um, we sort of have fun sort of transcribing each other's shorthand when, you know, we have a bit of a, bit yeah. of a laugh, you know. It, it, is, it is useful, even, you know, if you're writing a shopping list today, yeah. I'm still doing shorthand. And mm -hmm. I can remember, as Sally said, I mean, it was an absolute obsession. It had to be an obsession because mm. there's so much to learn. And anyone who studied shorthand knows that it's a new language mm. that where, where you place things on the line, above the line, the shape of the outline, everything dictates what that word means. Um, so it, it was a real passion. I can remember being up in my bedroom in my digs in Harlow till late into the night, just studying these, what there were the things called short forms, which are real quick ways of doing words. When I was at college, I can remember when we, learned typing we had these old manual typewriters and we had a woman who was a fire very fiery lady beautifully turned it every morning but absolute um you know thrived on discipline and she wanted to drive us on and the first morning i can remember whacking my finger i got my finger caught in and you remember in the old keys of a real type <laughs> if you got your finger down pull it back yeah and she was trying to get us to go really and i got my finger stuck and you'd be in the middle of a shorthand exam and your pencil would break you know and it was like nightmare or you'd lose your way once you lost your way when you were taken down a passage as mm. you was reading it you, you thought I've got to catch up I've got to catch up so there was some real kind of sweaty palm moments but it was huge fun huge fun and it, it is today I mean I up until certainly when I worked for the BBC I would sit in court 
um, and everything, I look back now, everything was still done in shorthand. Yeah. You know, it was it's a real skill. Yeah, amazing thing. And it's just something that you don't really hear anyone talk about anymore. Um, whether it's because we can dictate things on it, I don't, I, I don't know why, why it's sort of fallen by the wayside. So, um, so Sally, were you at, at BBC Radio Suffolk when it began? Yeah. Is that what you're suggesting? Well, so, I, yeah, I was there. I, I joined them a year after. Just um, after. So uh, Radio Suffolk was born in 1990. And right. I joined them in 1991 um, right. when they had an afternoon programme that they were in, sharing at the time with Radio Norfolk. Right. And then Radio Suffolk decided they want to go on their own and they, they wanted their own afternoon programme. And so I joined them at part time then, which was right. brilliant. So what was your role there when, when you first joined? How so did, when I first joined, um, it was, uh, as I say, it was an afternoon programme. It was a very light uh, programme. They there was no money thrown at it at all. So um, it was on a wing and a prayer and you you did it because you loved it. And I did, I famously once said, I'm thank goodness that they never took me up on it. But I just said, I love doing this so much. I'll just do it for nothing. And I really, and I really did. It was really <laughs> fun. And Kevin will tell you, you know, in a bit that, you know, those days were the, just the, 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 the most brilliant times the most fabulous working time that I've, of my life it was amazing we you know just go out and meet so many people and get out into the community and just have fun and people just wanted to laugh and they just wanted you to be a part of their lives part of their communities and it was just just the best time mm. so that, that's when I joined and then from there went uh, joined in in the newsroom um as a, a, a as a broadcast assistant and that involved um lots of the news stories came down we were on it came down on tape at the time so had this great big machine with two big spools with full of tape and um it was our general news service and so it would come down and say it might be stories you'd have this great big running order the first story and you had to be really quick because they'd feed it down and you'd have three beeps and it would come in and go beep 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 and you had to press this button and the times that i missed it was just all, and and and, and uh, well it wasn't it was just unfortunate every time I did that it was for like the top news story for the drive time program or something it was it was really sort of seat of your pants stuff and then you'd have to get a razor blade and you'd have to take the bits that you'd missed out you'd have to join them together with a piece of white um white sticky stuff and make sure that you hadn't got them back to front and that they ran off proper editing you, Yes, yeah. editing yeah. in the Flintstone era it was. <laughs> so these were sort of national and international stories that were that were basically coming down from London or somewhere, and That's you would right, then be broadcasting yeah. them out as part of the local news reporting. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So they'd be your top top stories, and there would be sort of what they called clips of sort okay. of ten second clips that would go in um, and then they would come down as packages so three and a half minute packages so you know the danger was that you'd sort of fall asleep if it was a particularly boring story you know and then you'd miss the end bit so you had, you had, had to have your wits about you, you know? <laughs> so how did you do, do, uh, move on from there to then being involved in you know back in the you know the breakfast show uh, well from there I then joined the mid-morning program um, right. and uh, and then from there went on to jointly present an afternoon programme um, in my own right with a former colleague. And that was just terrific fun as well. Uh, and then from there, went on to back to produce the, the morning programme again. Uh, and then the weekend programmes, which is a faith programme. 
uh, and uh, and then ended up on the um, breakfast program, which and then I was there for uh, about seven years, which was brilliant. So, what what are the responsibilities of a producer in local radio then? Try and try and explain well, all that. Well, um, the 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 role is um, to produce the program for the next day, um, next couple of days, next week. So you're just you're planning all the time. So that's where my secretarial background came in because I was planning and organising all the time there, and you know the two overran really nicely. Um, and so I'd probably drive my colleagues to death because I'd be going, well, you know, we haven't we haven't got all this tomorrow. We, we oh well, leave it till tomorrow. Yeah, well, if you leave it to tomorrow, there's going to be a gap in there. And nine times out of ten, it would be oh, what we're going to put on here, put in here. Uh, but it, it but it was fine. So that's that's the role. But also, um, it is getting on with your team, getting on with your presenter, um, because working with a presenter is 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 almost like you know you have to be a best friend you have to know what they're what they're thinking before they've even thought it you know how to head things off at the pass um and get to know them really well and and work with them and, and alongside them because if you don't you know a lot of people just say oh we'll just we'll put a a together with b and it will it will work it will be fine and it doesn't work out like that mm. you know because you know successful program team or successful news team is all about getting on with that person, getting on with your team, knowing how they all tick and um, just mentoring everybody and just bringing them all together. Um, and that was that was that was really lovely. And so everything just sort of dovetailed in together. And um, it was looking, looking for stories. Um, it was on the breakfast show, particularly it was it was topical of the day. So we had a talking point that never got sorted out until the morning. So it was very seat of the pants stuff. And it was fine if it was a top story that it was obvious that you were going to cover. Uh, and then you had to phone poor people like you at sort of like half past six in the morning to respond to a new story. Uh, and, and thankfully, the majority, 99% of people didn't mind that. They knew and it was local radio and they supported that. And it, and it was fine. You got the odd one who, who, who didn't like who didn't like it. <laughs> and you had to sort of profuse, profusely apologise. But the, in the main, it was it was fine. Uh, and, and then you would have to make all those calls and in the space of about an hour and, and just hope to goodness you had like an hour's, hour's programme at the end of it, you know. So, so some of it is planning a few days ahead and saying, yeah. well, we can do this on Monday morning. Yeah. yeah. And then there's other things that you have to leave space for because yeah, you want to pick do. up the main story on yeah. Monday. Exactly. Yeah. And on the on our breakfast, on a breakfast program, you do have to leave most of those much of that time free to respond because or otherwise all you're doing is it, it is planning and, and booking stories from the previous day and the next day you probably chuck half of it out the window and so it's a waste of everybody's time it's a waste of your contributors time uh, and so you have to sort of really roughly know um what's going to stay and what's going to go um, before your program goes out so so under quite a lot of pressure um yes. on those mornings yes. Yes, I mean the program, the, the program, the breakfast show at Radio Suffolk um, used to go out at, at went used to go out at seven o'clock, and then with um, COVID, when we went into lockdown, we changed programs, and all the program, the main programs were extended. So instead of three hours, it then became four hours. So we then started at six o'clock. And that was a bit of a wake up call, literally, because it was, you know, then waking up at, you know, we decided that we'd get in 
at sort of, you know, half past five or whatever. And it didn't work like that because, you know, I just wanted to get in earlier and earlier so that you you were just aware. And so at, at the end of it, it was getting up at 10 to four in the morning, which, you know, I'm an early bird, but that was very early. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I did it for a, and I did it for a, you know, since you know, COVID lockdown was March last year. And um, I did it for the best part of nine months. And I just was, I I then became very tired. I couldn't really think straight. Home life was, you know, coming home at midday and just trying to sleep for the rest of the day, going to bed at sort of seven o'clock, eight o'clock. And it was just then, it just then was a roller coaster. And I I just thought, oh, I'm not sure that I want to do this for the rest of my life, you know. Um, and then uh, the BBC, as always, have to had to make a lot of cuts, mm-hmm. partly because of COVID, and they were severe cuts. And so we had a, a tranche of voluntary redundancies. And I threw my hat into the ring and thought, well, this if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I'll carry on waking up at ten to four. And um, it was a bit scary because I wasn't quite sure whether I was ready for it and where it was going to lead. Uh, and as a lot of our guests that we talk to of for the podcast, we think sometimes you just got to take a jump. It feels right and it will be fine. It will be absolutely fine. And so I jumped, I got voluntary redundancy and that was it. I was faced with a lot of uncertainty after that. <laughs> I'm not sure it was all going to go. And here yeah. we are. <laughs> and here we are. We'll just talk, we'll look at some of the other things you're involved in in a moment. But so that, that just sounds to me as though what you've just um, gone through Sally the last little bit of your working life in comparison <laughs> with what Kevin where we left Kevin um sitting in an office in Halesworth waiting for stories about manhole covers you know what, what could be more, more different in in news gathering um but life moved on for you then Kevin yeah I had um been in the districts uh for well oh, I don't know probably about four or five years uh, I think it was suggested in uh, head office in Ipswich that it would be a good idea to bring me back to civilization for a stint. <laughs> so I then became a, a, a sub-editor uh, on the Evening Star, uh, which was fantastic. So I was part of a team who would have to basically knock the copy into shape. So once the reporters had written it, we would then decide on how it was going to look, the layout on the page, the font size, all that sort of stuff, as well as you know checking for mistakes, come up with a clever headline. Um, and I did that and, and that I always still look back I was talking to someone who we met at the weekend who I used to work with and we both agreed those were some of the happiest funniest times we had because then the East Anglian Daily Times was a living breathing newspaper it was printed on site the press was on site you could uh, you know I don't know whether it was this this halcyon memory but you could almost feel the rumble when the presses were running uh, and it was classic hold the front page I mean then if the story was big enough they would hold the front page um, now everything has to be put to bed a little bit earlier but then it was really exciting stuff you know you'd be caught out onto the floor with one of the compositors because something wasn't right and you had to fix it because there was a real deadline so it was fantastic times uh, and we had some we had some great times I mean I remember one headline I came up with two, two of them in my mind one was a story about a local restaurant who had their diary stolen <laughs> someone just walked out with it so my headline was guess who's coming to dinner and then I did another <laughs> one of a, of a guy who'd worked in customs and excise um, and he, he retired after I think it was 40 odd years so my, my headline was duty free after 40 years you know and those sort of things when you came up with them and you were roundly praised by your chief sub and then you saw it in print that was really brilliant you know, this this play on words this clever use of words I used to love 
um, doing it, but never losing the meaning or the kind of what was behind the story was the gift. So I did that for a year that I came back to districts basically because I wanted to. I think I was upgraded to some meaningless title, chief district reporter, something like that. And I did that. And then I felt I was just getting a little bit bored. And I thought I'm really only kind of working to say one deadline a day and there's got to be more to life. And I was a big radio listener. And I thought, actually, radio is fun, you know, because it just keeps coming. You know, it's deadlines all the time. And it it's felt exciting. So I put in for a job with the BBC in Norwich at Radio Norfolk. Uh, the big mistake I made was I didn't do any research. I didn't know anything about radio. So I wandered in. And the first question was, um, do you know what a cart is? And I resisted the temptation to make some smarty comment about some farm, farm vehicle because it was a cartridge. Well, I didn't know that. And so uh, I got through the board and they obviously thought, yeah, he's quite entertaining. Uh, didn't get the job. Afterwards, um, uh, someone who became a good colleague, David Lyne, said to me, look, you've got a lot of journalistic experience. We've got another job coming up. Come in, spend the weekend with us, um, which I did. Uh, when I went in, I actually ended up reading the news on the Sunday. First time I'd done it, I, you know, I was one of those guys. If you said, do you want to have a go at this? I said, yeah, I can do that. The old thing about, can you play the piano? I can play the piano. Um, well, I did it and I read the bulletin at eight o'clock. I was still working for the East Anglian at the time, but I got, <laughs> got carried away. So they took me on as things always happen. Things fall into place. I was a producer uh, within... Six months, uh, there were changes, so I became acting news editor, which was great. We were having a fantastic time. I mean, we used to play cricket in the newsroom. We had this wonderfully long newsroom, which had this great air. So we used to literally play cricket. I mean, it was fantastic. Again, this office mentality of just having, working really hard, but having so much fun at the same time was brilliant because you needed creative people. You needed sparky people who were funny and a little bit uh, eccentric, but that was what you wanted, people who mm. were going to, just do things and change things a bit. So I did that. I was aware at that stage, I hadn't moved up to Norfolk and I was still living in Suffolk. I was aware that uh, BBC Radio Suffolk was coming on stream. That was the last of the true BBC local radio stations. So it kind of completed the map of local radio stations around the country. And um, God rest his soul, Ivan Howlett, who would be the editor of that station, was up in Norwich for the day. And he came into Radio Norfolk and I knew who he was. And we kind of passed in the corridor he said nothing. I said nothing. He then just got past me. He kind of looked back and he said, you are putting in for the job, aren't you? And I instinctively said, yeah, of course I am. So I put in for the job, went down for the interview to be the news editor, the first news editor for Radio Suffolk. I did the board. Uh, it was a feisty board. They were in those days. They were pretty high pressured things with the BBC. And one of the board team were wanting to know that if anything got out of line on station, and I'd sort it out that I was going to be a pretty tough manager and um, it was basically making these gestures under the table to me to give me a little bit of a clue. So in trying to answer this question, I obviously came up with a couple of kind of profanities, a couple of, you know, a bit of the saucy language. And apparently afterwards, uh, the discussion was he's the guy we want. And the chat from personnel in London said he does swear a bit, doesn't he? And Ivan <laughs> leapt to my defence, as he always did, and said, it's OK, he's from Suffolk. It's the way they talk here. <laughs> so he saw off that. So I got the job. And goodness me, was that a, a blessing? I mean, it was just, again, wonderful period working with Ivan, who, again, was this all wonderfully creative soul, full of so much passion, knowledge, humour, so good with his people. He was such a kind man, such a generous guy. And I learned so much from him that we kind of then worked... Um, with other members of the team, creating the station, trying to get things right, developing it, making sure that just 
simple things, Colin, that, you know, the staff, if, especially if they came in, knew how to say Grunsborough, knew how to say mm. Brunswick, knew how to say Sproughton and wouldn't drop a clanger and lose us credibility straight away. So there's a lot to it. And just where do you go to get news from? You know, I had to go to people and say, we're coming on air. And they were like, why? We don't need you. Remember at that time, they had Radio Orwell, who were yeah. a brilliantly, you know, well-entrenched local radio station, doing a fantastic job. And people say, well, why do we need the BBC? So it was kind of a hard sell. Mm. Um, and you questioned it at times. Yeah, does the, does the county really need us? And now you look at it, what's been achieved over 30 odd years? How would the county manage without it? Mm. And it's incredible when you look and think now of not having, not just when there's snow, all the oil bridges closed, but day to day, not having that forum and platform for people to talk about the issues that matter. Mm. You know, how, how would that exist? But at that time, there was nothing. So we came in and did that. Um, did that for about nine years. Ivan left. I had a decision to make. Would I go for his job? I did. I didn't get it. They felt, I think they wanted a new broom, probably rightly. Um, so I then was offered an attachment to work at Television Centre in London. Um, so I did that for a year, which again was fantastic. Um, and then I actually came back and then, as would happen, fancy a bit of television? Why not? <laughs> Let's yes, you do. Let's yes, do, yeah. Yeah, so it's so that, but that's been the story of my career. I think I've just been blessed to be in the right place with the right people who have given me so much of their time and their guidance and their experience. And as we all know, Colin, from that you learn, don't you? You you pick the best bits, you move on, you pick up more good bits, you move on. You know, that is, and I, I've just been so blessed to, as I say, to be in the right place at the right time with, with no planning or thought or diagram to show me where I was going to go. I've kind of somehow worked my way through. So I feel very lucky. Uh, and just to be, uh, just to put one thing to bed, a cart, a cartridge, that's for your jingles, isn't it? That's for you. Well, actually, jingles or news clips. Yes. Oh, right. You had put news clips yeah. on a cart as well. Right. Well, yeah. We had, um, as, as Sally was saying before, when Sally spoke about this news service that used to come mm. from London, part of the trick was to fire the machine so that you re would record onto a cartridge. And these cartridges would be anything up from 20 seconds up to three and a half, four and a half minutes. Um, when the pressure came on, you started to run out of cartridges. You could be in the situation of putting a 20 second news clip onto a four and a half minute cartridge, which was not ideal because right. they need time to respool. So yep. you would to read your bulletin, you would test your cartridge to make sure it's going to play okay. You would hit requeue and then you'd look at the clock and think, ah, 30 seconds to the bulletin. Is that going to be requeued in time? And from the machine you'd hear <laughs> as this old cartridge was going around and around. You're watching the clock and they go, so it's now coming up to eight o'clock and at the news desk, here's Kevin Birch. And you're saying, you know, good morning, the headlines this morning and you're watching and it's going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your lead story is still finding its way a little bit. And he had so-and-so, 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 so-and-so. The main story this morning, blah, blah, blah. And then you'd hear, Kunk, and the, the cart would be recued. And you thought, thank goodness for that. <laughs> This was this was the way. I mean, now it makes me hoot with laughter when young journalists in radio say, "Oh, editing's such a nightmare." <laughs> I'm like, really? You should have tried it. Sal said with a chinograph pencil and a piece of splicing tape when all the tape is going all over the place. You know, you should have tried it when you're working with things like cartridges and machines that break down. Actually, I know we moan about things like the internet when it goes down, but actually, things are pretty reliable. And yeah. Editing today is a really slick and swift operation um so in those days it was pretty testy but yeah i um i learned as, as i said we learn a lesson i went into that interview i didn't do my homework never happened again 
I yeah. always made sure. I always, I never understood with an interview why people didn't ring up. And in fact, when I was news editor, if people were coming for a job and they didn't ring me and say, can I come and have a look around? Can I just talk to you for 10 minutes? That put them some way down the list because I wanted people to be asking questions and saying, can I come in? Can I get a feel for what you do? Can I see what you do? Can I maybe talk to some of the team? I'd always say, of course you can. Because, you know, that to me is part of it. But I think I learned a lesson then that you, you can't just be a little bit fly about these things. You, you've got to put your work in, you know. If particularly with me, I coming from newspapers initially with no radio knowledge at all. I it was pretty clear in black and white. I should have put the work in to make sure I was up to speed and I didn't. So, mm. you know, you get caught out once, but you don't get caught out again. But, uh, Sally, yeah. were you involved in employing people? So did you have a say as to the people who were working with you? Um, not really. I, I just hoped <clears throat> I just hoped that the decisions that people made for the people that I worked with were the right ones. And I'm really, really, really happy to say because the people that were employing the people that my team, they knew me. So uh, to a certain extent, they would know uh, whether I we were all going to jail. And I don't think I'm just trying to think there aren't many. There's been maybe a couple um that haven't worked but in the main over 30 years that's not bad going oh, and everybody, everybody i've worked with um and who has become part of our teams i've i've got on well really really well with and i've been blessed to mentor some of um some of the some of the the staff that have come up through work experience who are, we've been very blessed with some very energetic and creative young people uh, and I've been very lucky to be able to be a part of their lives and to, to bring them on and to you know uh, we've become good friends and so you know I've been very very fortunate in that respect. Oh wonderful yeah that makes a big difference when you've got people around you as you say yeah. that you can both see them developing and growing. Definitely. Yeah um, so yeah Kevin uh, by this time then you've now joined the BBC you're doing local news? Uh, yes, at that stage. So I kind of, I've been doing local news um, in the radio. Then I worked to, went to London where I was working at Television Centre where my first stint uh, in there was to work for what would become News 24, the rolling news network. And when I started, uh, it was, we were doing dummy runs. So every programme we did, not that you'd know it, uh, we, we were doing dummy programmes, 24-hour rolling news. And we were still getting people on from all around the world. And it was pretty evident the BBC knew it had to compete with Sky in terms of rolling news. So we, we would have made it wasn't said, but it was pretty clear they were going to throw money at it to make it work. So part of my job, actually, when I started was saying to people, getting contributors into studios around the world, getting bits of kit into the right place, getting people in the right place and apologising profusely. A bit like, a bit like Sal said, apologising <laughs> profusely. But, sorry, can you hang on, uh, you know, another... 10 minutes or so and these were people in Washington around the world so because the whole thing was just totally fluid I mean it was rolling news to to an extreme level you know so I used to sit there um it was uh a place where many people in television center who didn't suffer fools gladly so it didn't pay to be a fool I mean there were so many sharp editorial brains there and sometimes I had to go to the weekly editorial meetings of all the programs across Radio 4 across the BBC uh and it was a scary place to be as a kind of lad who was kind of trying to find his way. And I can remember my boss at the time said to me, there is no such answer as I don't know. So whatever you're asked, you need to know the answer. 
which is a bit daunting when you're in a meeting and at this time the troubles in Northern Ireland were pretty ferocious. So the question would be, it was the marching season, if such and such happens on over the weekend, what do we need to do? Where do we need to be? Who do we need? And I'm kind of like, I don't know, you know, how do I predict all this? But somehow you had to formulate. And I suppose, again, the skills of diplomacy came in and just the ability to talk common sense. I can remember someone saying to me, you're really good in meetings. You know, you just come out with the right thing. And I felt there's no secret formula to this. I'm just talking common sense. I'm just telling you what I know. But I thought they they, they thought this was some wonderful moment. But here's this gentleman who's talking common sense. So I got on really well. Fantastic people. Um, but as with so many of us, the, the commute to London was just, oh, I can remember coming back home, you know, and I'd, I'd hit Manning Tree at eight o'clock in the evening. The sun would be going down or had gone down. And I thought I'd be doing this again at six in the morning. And it wasn't for me. You know, I, I couldn't keep doing that because I felt I was burning out. Um, so the option when I came back, I kind of did a stint producing the breakfast show again for local radio, Radio Suffolk, which was great fun. Um and then I just thought there's got to be more. So when they said to me, do you want to do, do you fancy a stint in television? First doing a bit of sport uh, on Look East, I said, I'd love to. And again, um, you know, your natural confidence and in your own ability comes through. And I loved it. It was just an extension of what I'd always done, but in a different medium. So I had to think pictures visually, you, you know, if a story hasn't got pictures, don't bother doing it, you know, as simple as that. Um, so I loved it, you know, and again, it yeah, it was a real challenge, you know, it, it put you under a lot of pressure. Again, um, you know, there's a lot of people there kind of waiting for you to fail, not within, but sometimes without, you know, who are watching your every move, who are really quick to criticise, jump on everything you do. So you've got to be pretty tough. But having said that, I just loved it. I really enjoyed that exposure. Um, again, being in the right place to deliver news you know, real big news and to feel you're reaching this, you know, major audience every night. Oh, it's just, you know, the best times so ever. How long were you um, in the East doing the, the local news for, you know, BBC East? Oh, for BBC Look East. Well, I joined them. I think it was about, it must have been, because I did about, if I started with Radio Suffolk, went on air in 1990. So, I did all that. So it's over 30 years. And I think probably 20 years of that would have been with BBC Look East. Right. Uh, but I can remember at the start, as I said, you know, you were finding your way. And I look back on some of my early stuff and like all of us, I suppose, we're like, what was I doing? You know? <laughs> mm. um, and then you, you, you get better at it. You get more confident, your ability to deliver the story, unflustered, to tell the story. I mean, that's the key thing, just to break a story down into little components that... Mm people can understand it and pitching it at that level it's like i said earlier on you know you've you've got to tell the story but you've got to get it at just the right level you, you don't want to come across in a way when people say well, what was that all about mm. at the same time you don't want to be patronizing and insulting people who may know 90 percent of this and even more of the area that you're delving into so you have yeah. to become you know have that ability to dig down to a certain degree so you sound and feel as if you know exactly what you're talking about yeah. And, and just day to day, you know, every day you'd be dispatched on a different story of which you knew very little complex medical stories. And, uh, you know, you just had to get to grips with it. But I think like all of us, you know, as you go through life, you become more confident, uh, confident in your own ability. Um, you, you, you don't get nervous. You don't sort of make mistakes. You just you're able to tell it and tell it in a way that is human, that mm -hmm. is real. 
You know, so as you, as you both sort of look back over your BBC careers, what, what are the stories that sort of remain with you both, you know, maybe a funny one or a humorous story or one that you really enjoyed or maybe those that you just think, you know, this is, this is history. This is something that will be talked about for a while. Are there things that you can think back on having to cover? Well, I think from, from being a producer, I think every day, the stories that you do every day and the people that you talk to are—they they all are really important. Mm. Um, the, the the big news stories, obviously, the one that that sticks in my mind that will be one of Kevin's as well that we'll just never forget was the um, the, the tragic Suffolk murders, mm. where that's probably one of the biggest um, the biggest news stories that I've ever been involved with, and apart from you know, dealing with day-to-day um, people who were just fascinating people who we're, we're doing now. Um, though those people's lives are, are just as important and, and they stick with me all the time. But this, this news story was just something else and it just came, came out of nowhere and it, mm. it, it completely knocked us all for six and still remains, uh, I can remember, you know, right, right from the start uh, when it started and when it finished and it was, that was just... It was an awful, very tragic time, and um, that that will that will be that will remain with me forever. It was mm. to be part of that um, was just yeah, it was it was astonishing really. I Still can't believe it happened. You can't. It's, it's odd to look. We, we talk about it. You look back here. I mean, two reasons. One is because where we live is literally. Um, I mean, where where some of the bodies were found is literally half a mile from where we live. So, I was kind of being deployed to these um, every time there was another discovery to just literally down the road. Uh, and as we all can, Colin, you can probably remember, you know, people would be out there in Ipswich at that time. And, and it just absolutely, oh, the place was just not what we always knew the place to be. But there was so much fear and uncertainty and worry. Uh, it, it was a really, yeah, it was a, a difficult time for all of us because none of us could comprehend what was going on. Um, the other side of that, I think, Sally, to, to be in that position when you are, where you are telling this story, um, and certainly during the time that it happened and then the subsequent trial, I can remember thinking um, when, when the verdicts came in court, I said to Sally, when I got back, I said, it's the first time I've been taking shorthand, getting ready to get this, and my hands were shaking because I think we were all aware that this was history, you know? This was history. I mean, this, this was one of the worst cases there would ever be. And to be involved in that um, was something. But again, to try to tell that story in a kind of humane, mm. compassionate way, this was, I think, what we all battled with, yeah. to not forget at any one moment that these were the lives of, you know, local girls who had local families. And particularly when you know, we were going to the funerals for these um, victims, I mean, it was just an awful time because you didn't really want to be there. Yeah. If I'm honest, you didn't want to be there. But you kind of had to be, I suppose, every bit like a journalist in a war zone, isn't it? You have to be there to see what's happening, to record that first chapter of history. Um, so it, it was a very odd sensation. But I think I would agree with Sally. I'd look back and say that was the one story that after that, nothing would get to that level in terms of its impact on the community and us as individuals. Mm -hmm. Um but in terms of, I mean, funny things, I've been blessed to travel with the BBC. I can remember, you know, being in the 
uh, going to New England for Bartholomew Gosnold, the man who went and helped discover America. And that was just a fantastic, taking the seaplane out to a, an island off Martha's Vineyard and filming with American people on Independence Day. And another one was a deployment where we went with the military to Oman for this huge military exercise and camping in the desert with the military. The tensions were building in the Gulf and no one was really sure what was going to happen. And sitting in the mess tent, eating a, a, a fiercely hot curry when people were still in their 40s, about 42, and the sweat is pouring off you, and you're sitting eating, I think, what was curried my, made by these Mongolian chefs, you know, and you're thinking, what are we doing here? So um, you're interviewing Joan Collins, you know, there's so many moments you look back on and you think, goodness, we've been blessed, you know, to do what we've done. Yeah, we have. I, I, I think also um, on, the, on the lighter side, in, particularly for radio, the outside broadcasts that w we've done were just brilliant. And, and again, it's all about getting getting into the community and um, it, it, they weren't always my favourite things. If it was like this, if it was on a lovely day and often we'd be down on Felixstowe and, and take and take the programme down onto the beach and sun would be beating down. Amazing. Fantastic. But anybody knows me very well knows that me and cold weather don't go together very well and there have been plenty of outside broadcasts that I've gone along with and um, the uh, presenter that I've worked with for some time Mark Mark Murphy he'd always said Sal if you send the weather for next week for this outside broadcast I said no he said it's gonna be absolutely tipping down it's gonna be freezing I said thanks very much and normally I have to say there have been many including the Suffolk show including Suffolk day which has just been absolutely fantastic nine times out of ten they have been freezing cold and I've been wrapped up in mittens and coats and everything saying I am never ever going to do another broadcast again because I always manage to get the well, bad weather. but it, having said that you get caught up with it and it's just absolutely brilliant they have been and always were a fantastic fun but it's just unfortunately because of, of the way that things are now with Covid um, that's all been knocked on the head and, yeah. and we can't do that and we haven't been able to do that for some time and I really really mm. miss that because that is your chance of being able to meet people, to find out their stories and to be able to be part of the community. And I have to, if I'm honest, I think that was probably another, um, another decision-making um, moment when I thought, you know, there, I, I miss that. I really miss that. And um, I'm not sure whether that's going to come back. And so it's probably time to take a, a step mm. back. But they were, yeah, they were fantastic. Well, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned the Suffolk show because that must be one of your sort of, huge commitments every year is what you were doing there and just to always look on your stand and see you running backwards and forwards with pieces of paper and microphones headphones and everything <laughs> but they were just great days and you know we weren't allowed to take any holiday you know it was you know the the two days in bbc radio suffolk's calendar which were just unmissable because it was our chance to meet people and for people to meet the, the faces behind the microphones and everything and so it was a it was it was a, P, a big PR um, chance as well for us to be able to to meet the people that we broadcast to which were at the end of the day were the most important things uh, and I and I and I loved everything so I did what was it um, you know 30 Suffolk shows and you just think every year it's going to be the same it's going to be what can you and they're not 
you would think that they would be the same and they would be totally predictable and they're not you know you have the mascot races and you have the you know the the people from the very important people from you know police and the council and what have you then you get other people who are just coming you know they'll shear their sheep on the stand or you know they'll make music on the stand and totally diverse but just all Suffolk life is there and it was just fantastic well, you did show jump one year didn't you Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. I've forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, that was a challenge in the days that health and safety were, well, they were okay, but you could get around it fairly easily. <laughs> and uh, forms weren't quite what they are now. And um, we had a challenge on the mid morning show that, you know, each member of the team would, would, would have a challenge. And, and I don't know how how on earth I did it but I was challenged to ride a horse but not just to ride a horse it would be to to, to perform at the Suffolk show and I am really scared of horses I still am and they put the fear of whatever up me I think the horses are scared of you I think they probably were and you know faced with this huge animal and I did took all these riding lessons every week at Washbrook I can remember they were just so patient and I got to sort of something that I could just trot around the field and jumped over a fence and all the rest of it and then I was in suddenly in the grand ring at the Suffolk show one of the the, the big things I'm just thinking what am I doing why am I why am I even doing this and so it got to then then you've got the commentators and you know Sally from Radio Suffolk's on I don't even remember what his name was but he was just huge this horse and um and we just came to the jumps and I think I just I did one and I think the second one, I sort of almost fell off and, 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 and managed to stay on. And then the third one, as always, this horse realised that I had no idea what I was doing at all, had no confidence in me at all. And at the third one, just stopped still. And, and that was it. And I just felt so stupid, felt so stupid. But I'd done it and it was it was fantastic. An it, achievement. Was fun. it was it was an achievement. It was good fun. But I'll never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Rather you than me, I have to say. I'm, I'm like you. Yeah, the horses really scare me as well. So yeah, strange. Yeah. Oh, well done. So what? The, what? What's the, the? You know, now that the two of you made the decision to 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 move away from uh, from the BBC, what what are you working on now? What's what's occupying your time and your diaries? Well, funny enough, we're producing podcasts. <laughs> For, for, for a very a, nice man. For a very nice man. We've got lots of He's doing it very well as well, if you don't mind me saying. <laughs> so we do that, which is lovely because um you you, Colin, have kind of helped us have a little bit of a continuity. And for both of us, it's kind of still um getting excited by say finding the right people who are gonna be interesting and are gonna have something to say, which has been brilliant. Um so that's been great in terms of feeling that this, again, is another way of promoting what's in Suffolk and what makes it special. Um, and I've also been doing, because um, obviously my, my role with Look East was as a uh, shoot edit, um, as a video journalist. So I'm still doing that. So I can go out and do film work. Um, I also offer media training, uh, but I'm, I'm doing some work at the moment, which is, you know, I mentioned earlier about we all need a challenge. Um, and that's involved me writing a script. Um, for a, a, a little uh, drama with two actors. Well, I've never done that before. So that, that's been great because, again, it's something I've had to research and uh, get to know about and then be able to write a script, which is kind of convincing um, in quite what is a sensitive area. So being able to do that. So no, no day is kind of um, the same, really. We just find that things come along. And as you know, 
you know, people, contacts are a great thing and people come from your past and say, would you fancy doing this? And we're like, yeah, I'll give that a go. You yeah. know, it's just great. Mm. So it's, um, yeah, it's uncharted waters. And, um, but, you know, so far, Touchwood, it's been really good. And, you know, it's, let's be honest, these are bizarre times at the moment still. I know we're coming out of it, but it's, mm. they've still been odd times, haven't they, where mm. we've all been uncertain about, you know, what can we do safely? Can we do a bit of this? Can we do a bit of that? So it's, it's been a testing time. So I, I hopefully, uh, as things open up even more and we do return to even more normality, uh, we'll end up doing more. But so far, it's been a really a lovely little um, segue. It has been a lovely segue. <laughs> a yeah. segue from one section of our lives to another. So, yeah, fingers crossed. And for me, very, very similar. Obviously, we're involved with um, you helping to produce a podcast, which um, it's lovely to see. Sort of, we've been doing it sort of since January, yes. and it's lovely to see that um, uh, people sh- viewing and sharing and downloading um, as the weeks go on. And it's just an extension of that um, of the job that the best bits of the job that I loved at Radio Suffolk, which was, you know, trying to find interesting people, interesting Suffolk people who've got something to say, who've got fascinating lives. Um, and, and sometimes you'll ring and they'll say, what do you want to talk to me for? You know, I've got, I haven't got an interesting life. I've done nothing interesting. And the more you talk, you think you've done more in your life than I have, you know, yeah. uh, and, and they, and it's still a stand. It never, ever ceases to amaze me. Those people that say that because everybody, every single person has a story and that story is absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And so, uh, so this is just an extension of that. And it's been absolutely wonderful. And alongside that I'm working part-time for, a local cancer charity cancer campaign in Suffolk when I'm helping them again as an extension of the of the skills that I've used in in organizing events for them and helping them raise their profile um, on social media which is so important for businesses now um, and that is just that's just a dream job as well it, uh, and it, it's bring, again it's bringing people together um, so it's just all sort of you know just all fallen into place really it which has, is lovely. And I, I don't think any of us should, should be under any illusion you know i kind of charted this thing for some years now and i think suffolk now is in a place which is unparalleled mm. in terms of where it's ever been before and i'm talking about what it has to offer um it's it's heritage it's history uh it's countryside it's environment um yes of course tourism is important um and isn't it wonderful that people want to come here? Um, we probably will see even more of that as I think mm-hmm. the move just, you know, people make the decision that they don't really want to be in the city. They want to be out. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll probably see even more pressure. So I think it's important we're kind of planned and ready for that. But I just think it's an incredibly special time for this county because I think more and more people are realising what it has and the beauty it has, the people it has. And when we talk about, you know, having time for your mental health, health, the kind of space it gives you, Colin, you know, to mm. just relax, be with family and friends, just be yourself. I, I just think we're at a stage where, you know, it's always been, yeah, sleepy Suffolk. Well, those of us that live here know that it's never been sleepy, but I just think we're at a point now where it's, it's really exciting. You know, it really is. There's so many good things happening in Suffolk. Mm. Um, and as I say, you know, we, we just feel blessed that we're part of that. And, we've kind of been out to shout a little bit from the rooftops about what's been going on, but it's, it's, it's an exciting time. And, and interestingly, I think that's what the three of us are finding in this, in this podcast, isn't it? That um, now there are so many things going on that people just don't shout about and don't talk publicly about perhaps, but actually the businesses that are successful 
entrepreneurs who are growing businesses, charities who are doing huge things in the community. It's incredible. The, the, the stories are absolutely amazing. Well, that is, I mean, that is symptomatic of Suffolk um, and Suffolk people. Um, as you know, I mean, you know, they don't shout about what they do. You know, it's not done for, I can still remember my parents, you know, saying, to me, oh, you, don't, you don't want to get, you know, don't get above yourself. Don't, don't get too big for your boots, you know. And that's so true in Suffolk. You know, they, they do hold back a little bit, mm. a little bit reserved, and they're not going to come and shout about the successes they've had. But it's all happening there. I mean, the mm. one that sticks in my mind was um, the, the piece we did with Tim Holder, Colin, where mm. he spoke about this deprivation in Suffolk and how you go to a village and it all looks lovely and pretty and beautiful, mm. expensive homes and everything. But just look behind that a little bit and you'll find real, real problems. Um, so it's all there. But I think it is... We were talking to someone the other day who moved here um, some years ago. I think he said he'd been here about 17 mm. years. And he said, yeah, everybody was very suspicious when we moved in. And I said, it's OK. Mm. <laughs> we're like yeah. that. You know, it takes time for people to get to know you and trust you. Not, not because they're in any way being nasty about it, but it's just that's the way we are. Mm. We're cautious, you know. We, so, so I think it's, um, it's what goes with it. But, yeah, the more we can get people to open up and say, Come on, celebrate what you do. Mm. It's fantastic. You're leading the way in many areas. You know, let's 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 celebrate that. It's fantastic. Yeah. And I'm just hoping that through this, we've got the opportunity to listen to those stories and 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 uh, and, and propagate them, rather than possibly. I understand. You know, within the BBC context, you're under some time pressure. You've got you know a, a five minute slot, and then you move on to something else. But um, we've got the opportunity to hear the whole story and uh it's it's that chance to let what we used to what we used to call in the middle let the story breathe and so so for people who are put on the spot they think oh five minutes you know can't possibly you know we used to people would come off the back of the say, i haven't even started yet you know i've got local to say and so that's that's a classic thing you know that you have you know dig a bit deeper and you've just got these incredible um, stories that people can tell and um, yeah as Kevin said we're just absolutely blessed to be able to to, to listen to those over over the course of uh, uh, you know a week or two yeah it always mm. made me laugh when I'd, I'd go out and do a piece for Look East you know and you'd do an interview that could go on for some time and people would say how long is this piece going to be tonight like 10 minutes and I'd be like two if you're lucky and then you know well how much will my piece be I'm like well, 15 seconds, probably, you know, because that is kind of what you get. But I used to say, you know, think yourself lucky because in America now, most clips in the news are like nine seconds. So the whole thing is just coming down. And you, you can ask the question, like, how on earth do you tell a story where you're limited to, let's say it's a story with a lot of political dimensions. You've got to get everybody's view in within, say, two minutes. No one's ever going to get any more than 15 seconds. So it's really hard. And I think this is what a lot of people feel frustrating about the media today, national and local, is we, we don't get the chance to talk about really complex issues because everything has to be squeezed right down. So you're right, it has been a breath of fresh air, hasn't it, it to has, just yeah. have the sort of conversation we'd have over the, the dinner table or at the pub. You yeah. just to talk to people and let that conversation flow. It's, it's been lovely. Yeah, no, it's been good. And I really appreciate your... So both support and uh, and the work that you do on it because you make you know an amateur sound a lot better so thank you very much <laughs> we're, we're having a ball don't worry about that <laughs>
Oh, no, it's been brilliant. And uh, yeah, well, we've got lots more people, I think, on our hit list, haven't we? People we want to talk to. And yeah, every conversation like this that we have, somebody says, oh, you need to talk to so-and-so. So we'll work our way around all these interesting people in Suffolk. It'll keep us going for a while. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you both so much. It's been brilliant just to hear your background, your stories, and um, yeah, every success with all the new challenges that you're taking on. Thank yeah. you very much, Colin. You're very Colin. welcome. So it's been really great to find out something more about Kevin and Sally and their backgrounds and the wonderful work that they've done in the past. But you can admire their work by continuing to subscribe and support the Suffolk Money podcast, whether it's through Apple, uh, Amazon, or Spotify, or by following us on Facebook or using our website, which is suffolkmoney.co.uk. You'll be able to find all our previous episodes in those locations as well. So we hope that we'll see you next time on Suffolk Money. Thank you.